the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're like millions of other people throughout history and around the world, then you have probably at least once played some sort of game with your friends, whether it's a game of dice, a game of cards, or, uh, important for our purposes today, a board game. Uh, and today's episode is about board games, but not in the way you think. Welcome to Ridiculous History. My name is Ben. My name is Nolan. I'm I'm a fan of the old uh, five-finger fillet, you know, where you take a blade and pop it real quick between the gaps between your fingers. Uh-huh. Have you ever done that? Only in, in video game form. It's, a, it's, it's an available game in, uh, I believe, Red Dead Redemption. Oh, that's um, cool. I haven't found it yet in the new one, but uh, hopefully it exists. But yeah, that's, that's a pretty scary game. I've I've played that game in real life before, and I uh, I never went fast enough to to actually cut myself seriously. Was that back when you spent time in that uh, prison camp? <laughs> in that POW camp? <laughs> well, they called it church camp, but you know what? I think six on one hand, half a dozen in the other. Not to derail the, the topic <laughs> before we even get there, but I just watched uh, both documentaries about the ill-fated fire festival. Oh, yeah. We talked about this, and yeah. uh, that was sort of like being in a, in a POW camp. F-Y-R-E, the uh, ill-fated... The ill-fated festival that was most closely associated with Ja Rule when That's it right. broke in the news. Well, and the the main guy who was the 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 perpetrator of the whole hoax is a guy named Billy McFarlane, I believe, is his mm-hmm. last name. And yeah, he he uh, he was a real piece of work. But here's one thing they didn't have at Firefest: they had these uh, geodesic dome kind of FEMA tents that were mm-hmm. left over. They used that they had advertised as luxury, um, I believe, villas. Mm-hmm. Um, they had some really sad looking cheese sandwiches. Sandwiches. They had a lot of kind of gross porta potties. What they didn't have was the game of Monopoly. What they also didn't have was our super producer, Casey Pegram. So there they were without 
monopoly and without Casey Pegram, which I think is a is a grave injustice. It's possible he could have solved the whole debacle. Quite possibly. Uh, we are, by way of fantastic segues, exploring the world of monopoly. But again, perhaps not in the way that you have heard it explored before. For just a quick look at the strange history of monopoly, it was originally invented as something called the Landlord's Game in 1904 by Elizabeth Maggie. And it was a real estate and taxation game that was really meant to inform people about the dangers of unbridled capitalism. And when this game was um, more or less stolen from her, uh, the gameplay was modified so that it rewarded unbridled capitalism. And nowadays, Monopoly is a love-it-or-hate-it game for a lot of people. I've never experienced a huge falling out with friends, loved ones, relatives, and so on playing Monopoly. But uh, that's because I don't play with cheaters. And that seems to be one of the big accusations uh, against winners of Monopoly. I just think uh, Monopoly is sort of the board game equivalent of solitary confinement in that it's really boring. You find it boring? And takes a long time to finish. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see that being a criticism. It's not for everyone, but it's a tremendously popular game. You know what I mean? Like even even people who aren't uh, big fans of it have played it before. Absolutely, it's very true. Do you think people still play it now? Like, for, oh yeah, for fun, really? Absolutely, mm-hmm. and they've made a huge business similar to Trivial Pursuit, they have made a huge business in selling themed Monopoly boards. That's true, but at least with the Trivial Pursuit branded versions, they're like questions related to that topic. With Monopoly, it's just like a different looking board, and Mm -hmm. instead of a shoe, you've got like a Stranger Things baseball bat or something. Yeah, yeah, or a Demogorgon, right? The thing that I always found uh, interesting about Monopoly is that it is a pale shadow of the board game Life which is, I think, much more intriguing. But either way you look at it, Monopoly is is here to stay. It's a very popular game. And during World War II, it was widely played. It was just as popular in the United Kingdom as it was in the U.S. In fact, uh, there was a manufacturer of Monopoly in the United Kingdom called Waddington, John Waddington Limited, and they had purchased a license to create this just across the pond, which will be important later. But no, where are we going with this? Oh, man, we're going so many places. Um, Yeah, it's true. Waddington was the licensee of the product. It's almost like a franchise deal, right, where they were allowed to manufacture and distribute this game in the U.K. after it had seen a lot of success in the U.S. But Waddington, this company, um, was also very well known for their ability to print things on silk. And that doesn't seem like a big deal for our story today, but it turns out it might be the biggest deal. And the thing that um, gave Uncle Sam and uh, his minions of um, espionage mm-hmm. the idea to pull off this amazing uh Caper, I guess we can say? I think caper is a great word, or scheme. Uh, Caper is a little more fun. Yes, the story really kicks into gear with a guy named Christopher William Clayton Hutton, known as Cluddy to his friends, which I think is just a terrible nickname. Not great. Not, Not superior. And so Christopher Clayton Hutton, or Cluddy, 
is an intelligence officer at MI9. And he got this job through a very strange series of events or an offhand comment when he applied to work as an intelligence officer in 1939 for the UK War Office. He says in a quote later, My passport to the whole curious business has been a casual reference to my thwarted efforts to get the better of Harry Houdini, the world's greatest escapologist. That's right. Because he, his whole deal, and the reason that he was attractive to MI6 was that he was kind of a clever guy who was very fascinated by things like up-close magic and and uh, little tricks that might uh, be involved in doing some um, illusions. Uh, and he was able to apply that to those kind of James Bondy type gadgets that you that we all know and love, like, you know, a pen that's also an explosive device or something like mm-hmm. that, right? A, a tiny telescope that looks like a cigarette holder or uh, compasses on the backs of buttons, uh, f- boots with hollow heels that held knives maps, compasses, and files. But the thing was, and you're right, Noel, he was a brilliant, brilliant man, but as ingenious as his inventions were, it seemed that the Germans, as they called them, always eventually figured them out. All of them, that is, except for one. You see, he came to Waddington Limited and said, hey, you all manufacture a lot of things. Check. I understand that you print on silk. Double check. And I am of the understanding that you also print a board game called Monopoly. Triple check. (laughs) He probably pronounced it correctly. These are some important boxes. And to add these three boxes up together, you get a way to execute this plot that was gestating in this guy's mind. Because here's the thing. The reason that it was a big deal to print on silk is because they could be used to have maps printed on them. Maps that wouldn't deteriorate in the rain or get torn to shreds if you stepped on them or make a noise when you try to clandestinely unfold them, maybe in a POW camp or surrounded by enemy troops. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, th- this is something that fascinated me when we were studying up for this episode Silk maps were already around because of those advantages that we just named. Silk maps had already been proven superior to the paper stuff that could disintegrate, tear, make noise, give away your position. And because Waddington's made silk maps and Monopoly, Cluddy knew he was onto something. There was one other important ingredient of wartime reality that that solidified his decision. He knew that board games were allowed into POW camps, uh, largely because of the Geneva Conventions and the Red Cross. And also because Germany, at this point in the war, um, had such a bad rep for adhering to the Geneva Conventions and the way they treated prisoners of war, that they were willing to allow these humanitarian airdrops um, into their camps, which included things like snacks and, you know, uh, things to pass the time, I think books. But uh, board games were also okay. And they would also think of it as a win for them because they figured if their prisoners were busy occupying themselves playing an interminable board game that took ages and ages and ages <laughs> to finish. Clearly, I'm not a fan of the game. Um, yeah, but it, I mean, it would, it would serve its purpose, right? And they would probably be thrilled to have the opportunity to do something like that to pass the time. Um, but... There's the thing. A board game is in a big box with layers, with stacks of stuff in it. This is a pretty amazing opportunity um, for our Mr. Cluddy. 
Yeah, absolutely. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So what they eventually decided to do, Waddington's, we should note, was initially not... 100% on board with this. So Cluddy and the UK government pitched it to them hard. And they said, 
look, we are going to we are going to have this covered stem to stern. We are not just going to smuggle maps in these monopoly games. We are also going to include real money hidden with the monopoly money. Uh, we're going to include French, Italian, and German notes just under the actual monopoly cash. What else did they include? They included um, hidden in little indentations that were cut in the board itself because back in those days, the boards were a good bit thicker than they are now. So they were able to um, pre-label because, you know, the whole label with all the pieces, park place and all that, mm-hmm. just a big old sticker that goes on a piece of foldable cardboard. Um, they were able to cut these very shallow indentations that could hold things like files or those uh, those little compasses you mentioned earlier, the very small ones. So the smaller, the better because they wouldn't want it to be a red flag to any officers, any German um, guards handling it, who might think this is way too heavy for a board game, right? You'll also read other accounts that say uh, plane pieces were actually the escape items, like a compass and a file were disguised as plane pieces. That's interesting, because when I when I picture the whole cutting out of the indentations into the board thing, it kind of reminds me of stuff like how you might hide something in prison by cutting the pages out of a, the middle of a book or a Bible mm-hmm. or something like that and having like a, a file or a shiv or something hidden inside. Um, and it's interesting, too, because this actually was classified until, I want to say, the 1980s, uh, and the um, soldiers were in instructed to destroy these boards. Um, And the thing is, too, they had to use their own intuition to figure out these things were even in there, which is the thing that blew me away because apparently there was a little red dot on the board Mm -hmm. that made – that was sort of a clue, I guess, that this is a special board, uh-huh. but it wouldn't have been seen as anything out of the ordinary other than like a printing error maybe for the folks that were distributing the boards, a.k.a. the, the German soldiers. But it's, it takes a lot for you to think, oh, my gosh, this board game surely hides these secret items. I don't know, man. You spend a lot of time yeah. looking at the same board, so maybe the staff of the POW camp just – checks it and they shake it a little bit, but they don't really care because it's a Monopoly game. But then there are a couple points that I want to hit before they get lost. So this this board, if you're familiar with Monopoly, does look very similar. Most importantly, though, the map, you may hear different things about the the pieces versus uh, things being stuffed in the board, but the map itself was always hidden within the board and... MI9 covered their tracks very well here. They invented fake cover organizations to quote-unquote donate these parcels to the camps. So this removed culpability from the Red Cross because they can't knowingly distribute escape kits, right? So instead, they're not getting stuff from the UK government. They're getting stuff from organizations with names like the Licensed Victuallers Sports Association, the Ladies Knitting Circle, the Jigsaw Puzzle Club, and the Prisoner's Leisure Hour Fund. So as far as the people actually supplying the kits know, these are legit Monopoly boards. As far as the uh, Germans know, these are legitimate Monopoly boards. And it they just had to wait. It was a leap of faith to wait for one of those POWs to say, hey, this piece 
doesn't look quite normal. Let me turn it over. Oh, there's a compass. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. And not to mention like that the stacks of money, I believe, were fake money on top, fake mm-hmm. money on bottom, real money in between. So that might have been the first thing that gave it away, right? If they're like, <laughs> think about it. You're, you're going to play a nice game of Monopoly. You pull out the fake money and you say, what a ho, what's this? And then there's, you know, real money. And that maybe would make them investigate further, you think? Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's quite likely. And it, it's strange because at first, you know, the first question is, why is this not a film, right? Because mm. it seems like one heck of a story. But the second question is, how much of this is exaggerated because Monopoly is a cultural icon? The answer is uh, really not much. No, not much. And uh, just to throw in one last point, Parker Brothers themselves, the creators of the game, didn't know this was going on. This all had to be done very secretly, and it's not like they would like let them know, hey, by the way, is it okay if we use your beloved board game to <laughs> rescue some of our troops? But, it, it, you know, and again, it was not known for decades because um, it was classified, and we don't have any examples of what these might have looked like because they were all destroyed. Because what if uh, mm-hmm. a German uh, guard had discovered one, the whole gym would be up for all of the camps. Here's the thing too, Ben. Mm. They knew which camps they were airdropping these on and they had customized packages for each particular spot, right? Right. This may have been declassified relatively recently, but it was kind of an open secret uh, way before 2007. You can find a 1985 AP press article about this, but... Again, we don't know what the kits look like because people could describe them, right? POWs who use these to escape, people can recount their appearance, but as you said, they had to be destroyed. There's a fantastic article on this in The Atlantic, How Monopoly Games Helped Ally POWs Escape During World War II by Megan Garber. And, you know, for someone who is severely anti-monopoly, like it, it seems, no offense, you might be, you know, uh, this maybe is redemptive. Does this make you feel a little bit better about the game? Well, sure. I think the game has its uh, its, its positive qualities, and this certainly is one of them. Um, I just personally don't enjoy playing it. It's one of those games where I like the idea of it more than the actual practice of playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really into a game called Pandemic, which is a game that you play cooperatively with people. And I think that's a lot of fun. Sometimes the adversarial nature of a game isn't, isn't for me, you know? There are also games such as, uh, there's a great HP Lovecraft game called something like Call of Cthulhu. I, I think can't you're remember. Right. Yeah. And you cooperate with other players to prevent the coming of the, the eldritch gods. Yeah, yeah. And the pandemic is very similar in that you're preventing some sort of global um, outbreak that could annihilate civilization. So it's all, you know, it's all for a good cause. Also, there's something about Monopoly that kind of rubs me the wrong way because, like you said at the top of the show, it used to be much more about, you know, highlighting the evils and potential uh, negative things that can result from capitalism run amok. And now it's just much more about, like, hey, let's run amok with some capitalism. Now that we live in a world of late-stage capitalism, oh, excuse me, gig economy, sheesh. Well, well, we would be remiss if we did not ask super producer Casey Pegram, are you a, a monopolist, Casey? Uh, I like it because the experience of playing it is terrible. I just kind of feel like it's good propaganda for, um, you know, a different way of life. So sort of like in the way you might watch a mystery science theater 3000 movie, you enjoy the, the awfulness of it just for its own sake? Yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's true to life, true to life. It's too, it's too terribly true to life. Uh, Casey on the case, folks. 
Yeah, I think that's such a, a great point. One thing that I was thinking about during the course of research into today's episode was the fact that going to jail in Monopoly is just part of business and does not impede your financial or social success in any shape, fashion, or form. Sort of like how paying multi-million dollar fines is just the cost of business for a lot of banks. I don't want to get too oriented toward the corporatocracy or politics, but that's just the case. Monopoly predicted it, but they predicted it in a in a terribly misleading way. So I'm glad it did something good and helped some portion of over 35,000 allied POWs escape from German prison camps. Yeah, and they don't have exact numbers of how many people, many, many POWs escaped using these Monopoly kits, but um, everyone involved is pretty confident that they were effective on some level. Uh, and here's the thing I just found, Ben, too, in this great article from ABC News um, where they say that uh, airmen, before being deployed on missions that might have been um, going out on maneuvers at this stage in the war, were told if they were uh, captured to look for escape kits in Monopoly games. Oh, cool. So I was thinking more of the folks that have been there maybe a little longer term, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which lets us know that this had been in uh, production for some time. You know what I mean? And it worked. I uh, also quoted in that ABC article is Victor Watson, who was a former chairman of Waddington's uh, until 1993. And in his estimation, again, this might be a bit biased because he did work for the company. Uh, he says that Waddington's reckoned around 10,000 POWs successfully used the Monopoly map. Which is inspiring, you know, and I love that you raised the point uh, that we're never going to know the actual number of people who were who were for sure saved or able to escape with this. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, 
Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We should also mention that uh, this was not the first involvement Uncle Pennybags, that's the name of that cartoon character, the capitalist. The guy? Yeah. We'll just call him the Monopoly guy. Yeah. Well, his real name's Rich Uncle Pennybags. Rich Uncle Pennybags. It's back when a penny before inflation carried a lot more weight. It meant something. Yeah, back when a penny meant something. Um, After World War II, Monopoly found itself in the middle of another international conflict, this one more ideology-related, because you see Cuba, the USSR, and other communist countries outlawed the game because it advocated capitalism. You know what I mean? There's not a communist version of Monopoly yet. I'd someone check on that. If there, if there is, please let me know whether there's some sort of anti-monopoly or uh, communist monopoly. And, and Casey, by the way, I see that you just sent us uh, something called Monopoly for Millennials. Yes. This this is a true thing. I remember hearing about this uh, a while back when, when it broke uh, fairly recently. It was Monopoly's crass attempt to advertise to the millennial generation, right? Now, they might have airdropped some of these on Firefest. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Nice way to call it back. So what is this, Casey? It is a updated version of Monopoly for millennials. And just looking at the box cover art, I love the slogan, forget real estate, you can't afford it anyway. So that's just that lovely, lovely late capitalist dystopia we've all enjoyed. Casey on a tragic case there. But I love it because it's got pictures of like bike lanes and it's like a vegan only restaurant, green kind of uh, ecological messages. And um, Mr. Pennybags has kind of like some reflective sunglasses on. Looks like he has an iPod earbud in his ear. So they're they're really uh, hitting the the millennial cliche is pretty heavily there. More of a douchebag than a penny bag. <laughs> yeah. Community chess cards say things like your free web streaming trial expires. Pay the bank $40. 
tokens include an emoji <laughs> and a hashtag. Oh, this is great. This is terrible. Yeah. This it's, is, it's funny because it seems like they're trolling, but, I mean, it is a real thing you can buy in stores, apparently. What rough board game slouches toward Bethlehem to be born? Yeah, and especially, again, I'm, I'm fresh off watching both of these Firefest documentaries, <laughs> so I have a pretty bad taste in my mouth and a bit of a self-loathing for millennials. Although I'm technically a zenial. I think I'm on the cusp. I think both you and I, Casey, are a little bit on the cusp. Yeah, we're cuspers. We're cuspers. It's rated in two different ways. Uh, the one way would be to rate it on a generational chronological divide, but another way, and some sociologists have argued this, would be to rate it on a digital divide or access to information. You know, so people who were born before the days of dial-up modem, right, are clearly not millennial. I don't know. I think we're I think we're all actually cuspers. What we what we should be wondering about if we were Hasbro is what sort of board game the generation after millennials would like to play. Hint. It's not on a board. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you also notice it's funny how there's like app versions of most old board games. Yeah. And they're very similar. They're just a little quicker to play. Like you mentioned the Game of Life at the top of the show, and I used to have an app version of that because the mechanics of the Game of Life are a little cumbersome. And with the app, it kind of does all that for you. So it's it's a the lazy Game of Life. I don't know. It's weird. I've tried doing, uh, you know, you guys know I'm a huge fan of crosswords, and I've tried doing them online, but there's something about the physical pen and paper. Yep. Also, yeah, I do them in pen, but whatever. I chose my battle. Uh, oh, we should mention, as we're wrapping up here, that Uncle Sam and uh, the Yanks, that's us, so we can say Yankees, and it not be pejorative. Uh, we totally copied this idea a little later after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. Uh, Hutton was tasked with training his American, like his, the American version of him, a guy named Captain Robley Winfrey uh, in the art of concealing escape tools in this innocuous looking stuff. And he came up with ideas that took off, kind of dovetailed uh, on Hutton's, and eventually his part of the intelligence services, military intelligence services, escape and evasion section, or Miss X, uh, started sending out monopoly boards that were also loaded with escape tools. The one thing different they did is that Winfrey would send his employees into toy stores and department stores to buy civilian Monopoly games, and then they would take the games back to their secret lair, and that's when they would kit them up. So they didn't have, I guess nobody trusted Parker Brothers at that time. You know what I mean? Because they never asked Parker Brothers to manufacture bespoke or custom ones. They just reverse engineered them. That's nuts that they would, there would be that much logistical planning that would go into something like that. You talk about the glue, for example. Oh, lay it on us. Yeah, they had to reverse engineer the exact glue that Parker Brothers used in, in order to make the, you know, the, the decal lay correctly. So there was a whole lot of little things they had to kind of like troubleshoot and figure out how to make so that it wouldn't throw up any red flags. Wait, well, okay, <laughs> I've got to catch up because just for a second – when you said the decal lay correctly, I, for some reason, I had a brain fart and I thought you said decalé, like it was some sort of very specific Parker Brothers You gotta only. make that decalé <laughs> correctly. Adhesive. Yeah, you're, you're right though. And 
by golly, by gosh, by gum, it worked because when the war ended in September 1945, there was only one escape kit uh, that the German forces had not discovered, and it was Monopoly. As you said, Noel, everything was destroyed. Uh, We know this really happened. Uh, It was officially revealed in 1985, right? Uh, But the American use of the game wasn't revealed until 1990. And... Uh, according to various sources, at least at least 740-something airmen escaped with aids created by Cluddy and Robley Winfrey. Which, you know, it sounds like a great, a great gig if you can get it. If there's a wartime thing and, and you get drafted, can you imagine, fellas, if someone said, okay, your job is to make top-secret board game escape kits? I would be in. I would be one million percent in. I would too. And I think it's a real testament to uh, British engineering and uh, ingenuity. Agreed. And with that ends our tale, but not our show. Uh, Tune in for our next episode, which will be a surprising romp through the origin story of one of the world's most famous rhinos. I'm very much looking forward to that. In the meantime, we'd love to thank our super producer, Casey Pegram, Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Our research associate, Gabe. Of course, you, fellow ridiculous historians, for listening. And Noel, thank you for thank you for exploring this story with me. Ben, thank you for being a friend. <laughs> I wish we could. We don't have the rights to play the Golden Girls. You'll just have to use your imagination or go watch it on Hulu. It's I out could, right now. I could play it on ukulele. Can you really? Yes, <laughs> That's very cool. Well, I certainly have my priorities in order, right, man? Well, you got to, and you guys should have your priorities in order to listen to the next episode of Ridiculous History. We'll see you then. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com.